0: When you are in a program that gets expedited, okay, the intention is for the program to move quickly. And there are several ways in which it can move quickly, but almost all of them lead to a very shortened time frame for CMC. So what it gets you is the FDA is aware that there is stress on CMC.
1: Welcome to CMC Live. This is the show where we discuss CMC regulations and guidances simplified through real-life experiences and risk-based advice. Each episode, we speak with subject matter experts as well as other leading industry authorities with your host, Ed Narki. Hello, everyone. Welcome to CMC Live. My name is Ed Narkey, host of CMC Live. On this episode, we speak with Dr. Jim Mensel, who looks after AP Process Consulting and Analytical here at DSI. But first, I'd like to introduce my co-host, Miranda, heading up a marketing strategy. Keep in mind this is not authorized advice. Please check with your regulatory group or have that official conversation with the agency before acting. Jim, hello. Hi, Ed. Thanks for
0: the introduction. It's a pleasure to be here today. And I'm going to be speaking today and actually hoping to engage those who are listening about everything that's associated with CMC and Phase 3 in the context of an expedited drug program. There's been a lot of expedited activity, especially in the smaller biopharma space, and it presents some very unique challenges for a CMC group that is on the verge between a Phase 2 and Phase 3 program. So the components of the discussion today really are going to be, first of all, Phase 3 terms and definitions. And there's a limited number that I will use, but there are many terms that are used. There's a lot of jargon, and I'm going to use and define some of those that will come up in this discussion so that you have an idea of what these refer to. The next point will be a listing of the key phase three events that impact CMC. There's a handful of those that really are ones we need to anticipate and plan for. A third point I'll cover is what I call lock points. These are places where your process itself, whether it's drug product or drug substance, your physical properties for your drug product, your drug substance, I'm sorry, and also your drug product, your dosage form, your formulation, these things pretty much have to be locked. And I'll discuss where those are and why that's the case. And we'll move on to expedited programs and the regulatory expectations that they place upon CMC. And then from there, we'll talk about the phase three experience in the context of an expedited program. And what are the key areas for CMC for planning and for activity? So the first definition for phase three that I think is very important is the regulatory starting material. People have various concepts of what this actually means, and I'm surprised the number that I run into that really don't have a clear picture. It really is that structure in the process where after that point, all processing must be GMP. Now, there can be several regulatory starting materials entering the process at different points but there's a particular one where everything starts at the very beginning of the process. They have to be proposed to the agencies. This is a very important thing because before the regulatory starting material, the agency really does not see what goes on in the process. So they need to accept the concept that you have control at everything up to that point. And the proposals have to satisfy CH guidances, and I've listed a few there for reference. There are other places in the guidances where this is discussed. And the key thing to note here is authorities may not agree. The FDA, the EU, the KFDA, the TGA, I've seen cases where all four agencies have had a different view and different feedback to different clients. The regulatory administrators have made non-GMP. As I've said previously, this information is not provided in registration filings, and the agencies are really blind to this vast aspect of the process. But the manufacturer must be indicated in the filings and fully available to the agency for inspection. Sponsors must manage the regulatory starting material, and there are very strict controls over sourcing manufacturing and these are provided in the registration filing and there are commitments that are made by the sponsor even if the FDA doesn't see the detail behind the regulatory starting material there's an understanding about what the sponsor must do so this is the first definition.
1: Jim that's that's great to know and this is you know strategies and CMC issues if I can push ahead a little bit from for breakthrough expedited programs what does breakthrough designation or an expedited term review what does that get you for CMC can you share some any experiences that you may have seen
0: well, what it will get you is a lot, of, a lot more interaction with the FDA. So for example, the FDA is aware of that, and you'll see this in the later slides, when you are in a program that gets expedited, okay, the intention is for the program to move quickly. And there are several ways in which it can move quickly, but almost all of them lead to a very shortened time frame for CMC. So what it gets you is the FDA is aware that there is stress on CMC. They're also aware that they're not going to give on their quality requirements, and what they will do is meet with the sponsor more frequently than normal to help the sponsor navigate what is required to ensure that the drug substance, the drug product can be made to suitable quality, that they're happy with the direction manufacturing is going. So what it really gets for CMC is help. What it also gets for CMC is stress. But at the end of the day, the filing must occur and the FDA
1: must approve. Two things that That you you know you you're open to for the breakthrough or expedite programs. Frequent communications with FDA seem to be in play, and then less waiting if you're engaged with them to get answers to the clerical questions that that might come up. What are some of the breakthrough designation items associated with that that you don't get? Is there any freedoms to do different things than normal?
0: Well, it's all negotiated. So, for example. And I tell this to people all the time. You know, there are certain aspects of regulations where they're almost like rules, but there's a lot of aspects to the ICH guidances that are guidances. And it really suggests what comes out of a sound scientific approach to developing a drug, a process, a drug product. So what you can sometimes get that's different is let's look, for example, at at stability. Okay. There is a specific amount of stability data that's required for a standard filing. There are circumstances where you may be able to get agreement from FDA for a shortened amount of stability. You have to have a very, very good base of data from earlier in development, preferably from the same chemical process at the same site. But there are mechanisms by which you might make a deal with them to have less stability than you would normally be required to have. So there are times when you have to change elements of the process or even the site of location because all of a sudden, either demand is different. Or some new impurity shown up. And normally you might have more time to address this, but with an expedited filing, you're staring down the barrel at launch. So if you approach the FDA with a, a proposal to say, look, you know, we've manufactured a site A and I have a client that's done exactly this. However, site A is not big enough to handle what we project now to be the size of the amount we need. We're going to have to move to site B. And guess what? We can't move to site B until we start our process validation. So FDA would have to hear your argument for how you're going to justify changing the site between where your pivotal clinical trial batches were made, your registration (laughs) batches were made, and where you're going to do your process validation. And you have to have a plan that says how you're going to show that the material made at both sites is equivalent. That's something that the FDA will give you that is different than you normally would get. And the reason is because they understand that you don't have a three or four year window in phase three. You might have a one year window. But you have to do all the things that normally occur in that one-year window that normally you can do in three years. So that's kind of what you can expect that is different is you can cite a position that's reasonable to enable you to get this important drug to market and back it up with sound science and say, look, this is what we need to do. Here's why we think this will work and get their opinion. And they typically will listen. They may say no, but they'll at least listen.
1: So I have a question for you, Jim. We get sure. this asked quite a bit is when should a sponsor consider going for expedited drug development and what should they do before they even ask for that? Is there a certain phase or certain triggers that they would realize, oh, maybe I should be asking for expedited drug development or a certain phase of development?
0: You know, Miranda, it's such a multifaceted question. So there is a business aspect and there is a scientific aspect, right? So let's look at it from the standpoint of some types of drugs, like anti-cancer agents. Often an anti-cancer agent program is based upon a model that's been shown to be, that's essentially been validated. If you hit this particular receptor site, you will impact this cancer, right? So then the question is, does the drug hit the receptor site? Well, if you know you've got a receptor site, a validated model. Some sponsors know from the outset they're going to approach the FDA even before they go into phase one because they have a receptor site model. And if they get a molecule that hits it, they're going to request some sort of expedited status, especially if it's a cancer that's not treated. For example, pancreatic cancer. We'd all love to see something for pancreatic cancer. There's an example. The other thing that can occur is during the course of your clinical development, you start seeing really, really good data. We have a client at DSI in this position right now, the end of phase two, they had spectacular data. It actually showed cure of people that are have a disease that there's no cure for. Well, between them and the FDA became very clear this should be an expedited program because there is no drug, and the drug actually cured the subjects. So in that instance, the sponsor would decide based upon data that they've got something where they feel, first of all, it's unique. It meets the categories, and there's various categories of consideration: unmet need better than anything out there. There's a variety of considerations, orphan drug. But if you feel you are in a situation where you have something like that and have the data to back it up, there's no harm in going to the FDA and saying, here's what we've got. We'd like to get expedited status. Of course, get advice on what you're asking for. But it also is important for the corporate entity involved in this to look across the board at whether everything they have is ready to go. Because once they get that designation, it gets broadcast. Mm -hmm. And there's an expectation for a certain level of motion of the program. And if there isn't the necessary infrastructure in that company to support that motion, it doesn't look good for the funding agencies. It also doesn't look good for FDA because if they put themselves out there as offering expedited status, they want to know that that drug's going to at least make it to a point of failure or make it to market, not stall somewhere because the client's not ready to take it forward despite their approval of expedited status. So okay. it's it's very multifaceted. There's business drivers, there's science drivers. Sometimes the sponsor approaches FDA. Sometimes the FDA sees the data and says, you need to expedite. There are some disease areas where you're automatically expedited because you're there. Example of that is Nash. Any program in Nash is automatically expedited by the FDA.
1: Yeah, so Jim, that's a great point. And I we have worked on a number of breakthrough designated programs. So we, you know, in my historical dealings with breakthrough, and we've dealt with a lot of sponsors now in the last two years, three years that had breakthrough. So we've seen a number of things. A lot of it and goes back to Miranda's question, a lot of it based on the therapeutic indication, the availability of other therapies out there that, you know, are available versus unmet needs. So a lot of that discussion happens to be clinical. One of the things I guess that you're aware of, Jim, is that, you know, when it becomes a fast track program or, you know, there's the timing becomes different because it is breakthrough, CMC is usually far behind the clinical program. And as you know, there's certain things that take time, process development, drug development, you know, a lot of this stuff can't be condensed even with a a lot more money and those things like that. So it just takes time to happen. Can you? I, I wanted to kind of go back to your role here at DSI. You know, pr- the process. You know, if you have a a pilot scale and you need to get to commercial scale in six months, it's going to be a challenge You're finding the supply chain, et cetera. Have you dealt with any situational issues like this? Have you dealt with any discussions with the agency? Can you say anything about comparability data? You know, leveraging kind of earlier stage development data to make your case or to bridge some of the earlier stage stuff so you can try to bring the the CMC program up to speed so that's not your your holdup? Well,
0: sure. We see this a lot, Ed. And there was a specific case where the sponsor did years and years of clinical work with a process that was using a specific raw material, as it turns out, not even a starting material. But they hadn't really approached the agency about where the regulatory starting material would be. It's a very long synthesis. But the upshot of the process is that this particular material they started with had a vinyl group, and they would carry the vinyl groups through the process, and very near the end, when they would do a general hydrogenation route protecting groups, the vinyl group went away. So the vinyl group went for the ride. As we know, vinyl doesn't do very much to change the behavior of a molecule chemically. What happened, though, was they could not make enough of the vinyl compound to satisfy what they saw as being clinical need. And the company that manufactures the vinyl compound, they developed a compound with the ethyl. And the ethyl turned out to be a crystalline material at that point in the process where the hydrogenation normally would have occurred. So they went from an intermediate very late in the process that was an oil that was purified by chromatography to an intermediate at that same stage that was crystalline, which was a complete shock. So they had a comparability program with FDA because all their clinical data had been developed with the vinyl-based molecule. And what they had to do is actually show that the API derived from the ethyl series was identical to the API derived from the vinyl series. And they actually went far enough to propose to the FDA that the point where the ethyl group was converted to the vinyl, that would be the regulatory starting material. So that was a very big thing. And also, there was involved in that same circumstance a change in site. So they were very constrained. And I referred to before about a company going from site A to site B because of capacity. Well, this company in the same situation not only changed the nature of the material they're carrying through the process, but they had to change the site of manufacture. So they had two changes, and they had to use comparability protocols to handle both the site change and the change in intermediate. I assisted with both of those. They were accepted by FDA contingent upon certain things being fulfilled by time of filing. So yes, we've dealt with that a lot at DSI and I've certainly seen quite a bit of it. And there is that one example I can cite that is almost the extreme
1: really. Okay. That's interesting. Two questions that came out of that. If I can ask you first, what's your dog's name? He was trying Uh, to- His
0: name is Duke and a nurse came over to care for a family member. So the dog protects the family member.
1: Hey, this is life working from home, which we're pretty used to for like 14 years now, right? As we all know, and more so recently. Uh, the second, the second part, actually the serious part of the question is, you know, having having been in the trenches and working with this, and you know, dealing with agencies, companies that are you know considering or thinking about they might have a potential candidate for breakthrough, anything to think about, process oriented, supply chain, you know, chemistry oriented, things that they can do early to get maybe ahead of the curve, so they are ready, you know, if they have to move forward quickly.
0: Well, now you've touched on it, Ed, because that really is where you know I think my involvement would be the most useful and. My advice is to know the process. If one of the first questions is, if when you begin to hear rumblings that this will occur, you have a process that's operative. So let's call that the operative process. The first question to ask yourself is, can this process do the job? Because if this program goes expedited, this process I'm running right now may be the commercial process, whether I like it or not. And the question is, could it possibly do the job? What do I know about the process? My advice to anybody in any small pharma, is to really really pay attention to the chemistry at every point along the way. And if there's any indication from the corporate leadership that they are looking at an expedited designation, it's even more important to get development people involved and pay very close attention to the chemical process, to the drug product, to the analytical methods because at some point what you're working on may be the actual commercial route with all of its flaws. So what you need to understand is where are the flaws? Can you get materials? Is there a showstopper in that process? can it control quality? There are a number of things to look at. Profile the process, understand how it behaves, and you have to pick your battles and say, okay, so these steps work okay. We can live with this. This step I can't live with. The thing to bear in mind there, Ed, that's really important for people to understand is that there are two things that really, they can't change after a certain point. One is that drug product form, the salt, the polymorph, the particle size. They have to really anticipate that early so that they don't get stuck in a situation where they're in clinical development on the cusp of their pivotal trials or phase 3 trials with a physical form that does not work well okay the next thing they need to realize is there's a certain point in the chemical development and manufacturing where they simply cannot change the process close in changes but there's a lot of work to make them so they need to really begin to look at what do they need to change about what they currently have to satisfy a longer term picture and that really requires knowing what you've got and knowing what you need to have and what is the gap between the two. And my advice to people is to really make sure they get people involved who know how to do this, who know what to expect, get a team on this, and really decide what battles you'll face, what things need to be done that are not compressible, what things are compressible, and what's the point of no return for certain types of activities that simply have to be set in motion. So there's a lot of thinking to be done. It's almost a fire drill up front. And I can tell you, having been in a room with a client, It was very much a fire drill type setting and the people were nearly holding their breaths trying to deal with the fact that they had an expedited program and were now frightened by what this meant for them. So a company in San Francisco that we know was an interesting experience
1: with those folks. Great information. So unfortunately, we're up against it for time. So we'll have to continue the conversation on part two. But Jim, I wanted to thank you so much. You're one of our first guests here on the uh, Samson Live podcast. One of the best guests so far, obviously. And we look forward to speaking with you soon. This was fun, guys. Thank you, guys. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening. To read the full show notes for this episode, which include a summary, timestamps, and any links mentioned in this episode, please visit dsinformatics.com forward slash podcast. There you'll find the information from this episode and any past episodes. If you're enjoying this podcast, please leave us a rating and a review at ratethispodcast.com forward slash cmclive. We'll be sure to read these out on future episodes.